Well, we welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're all very welcome to our worship this evening. Especially those you're visiting with us, you're welcome to Kells Water. Um, the announcements for the incoming week are on uh, Wednesday evening, there is a meeting of the Northern Presbytery at half past seven in the Balamoni meeting house. And as I said this morning uh, at that meeting, uh, Kells Water session will be recommending Mr. William McKee uh, to uh, uh, Presbytery's consideration for the, for the ministry of the gospel. Um, uh, we pray, you can be praying for that, that the Lord will uh, go before and if it's his will. The word of the Lord from Isaiah 52 and verse 9 and 10 reads, Break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted his people, he hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made burial this evening. And And reading a verse one. And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Zeba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Zeba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul? that I may show the kindness of God unto him. And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David. He fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant? that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am. Then the king called to Zeba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertained to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Seba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Seba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. And as for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Seba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Amen. And amen. So the title this evening is The King of Kindness. The King of Kindness. 
A.W. Pink describes the scene or the incident before us as one of the loveliest scenes of David's life. Whenever David inquires in verse 1, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jesus said, Out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts. Out of the heart of a man, after God's own heart, as David had, proceeds good thoughts, kind thoughts. Is there any that is left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness? One of the loveliest scenes in all of David's life. But it's not without freckles. Or to put it better, perhaps, it's not without wrinkles. Because it's years later than it should be that David's asking this question. It was a full two years before uh, Pharaoh's butler uh, made good on what he had promised Joseph in the prison. Remember when he interpreted, Joseph interpreted the dream for him. And Joseph had uh, sort of said him at that time, Think in me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, and make mention of me on the Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. Well, it was two years in that case, and it was ten years or more, as far as I can make it out, ten years or more before David did think and make mention about Saul's house, and about bringing one out of Saul's house. A long time. Not malice, I don't suppose, in David's part, but simply he did what we all are apt to do. He put it to the back of his mind and it stayed there. And he probably said to himself, as we often do, I'll get round to it sometime. And it wasn't long, or sorry, so long time had passed that it might have been almost too embarrassing for David to bring the matter up now. But it would have been a lot more embarrassing if he hadn't brought it up on the day of judgment for him. For I was a hungered, and you intended to give me meat. For I was thirsty, and you intended to give me drink. I was a stranger, and you intended to take me in. Embarrassing. Samuel Johnson, or Dr. Johnson, the, the man of many letters, commented on the unhappy failure of pious intent. And he made his famous uh, saying, or quote, or quip, whatever you want to say, and he said, he said to someone who was uh, procrastinating on, on, on doing good, and fulfilling his promise, he said, Sir, hell is paved with good intentions. With good intentions. Is there anyone amongst us this evening who has promised somebody who's lonely, somebody who perhaps is uh, infirm, somebody who is laid up for old age or sickness, you've promised to 
I'll come round and see you sometime. Uh, I'll just pop around and spend a bit of time with you. Good intention. Nice gesture. But you still haven't got around. Or perhaps somebody you said to them because they couldn't do it themselves and perhaps have no family to do it. Well, I'll do that wee job for you. I don't mind doing it. I'll, I'll get round to it sometime. But you haven't got round to it. You know, whenever I was doing this sermon during the week, it pricked my own conscience. Because there was somebody I had promised that on a number of occasions, I'll get round to see you. Somebody who who's, needs a wee bit of company. And just when I got to this stage in the sermon, I thought, John, you're not practicing what you preach. So, conscience pricked, I had to do it. I would have been another one of those getting put in the back of your mind, and it could be there in another 10 years' time. What about yourself? I would say, I'm sure there's someone in your mind who you've promised to call around to see and to do that wee job for them, and you haven't got around it yet. You know the old saying, don't you? Better late than never. Or, to be more accurate, better holy than never. Because people with good intentions, as somebody has said, make promises. But people with good character keep them better holier than never. It may be embarrassing, but it's better to do it. I was a hungered. I was lonely. I had a wee job needing to do it. And you intended to do it? Well, David's good intention, he finally gets round to it. And we can airbrush the wrinkles and the freckles of it being far later than it should have been because of his good character and because of the generosity of the spirit which uh, is going to come out in the next, the next uh, moments. Uh, one of the reasons why it is commendable to David for his kindness here is because of who he has in view. In case you missed it, it's the house of Saul that he's inquiring about. In case you missed it, it's the house of horrors that he's inquiring about. The same house which had tortured David and his house for years, for years. Saul had, uh, had forced David's elderly parents, Jesse and his wife, to pack up and to flee. And they head into the land of Moab for their own safety. They had to leave their home. David's parents, as you remember. David himself, as we looked at for a number of weeks, also was like a nomad. Um, hunted like a fugitive from cave to cave and from, from wood to wood. Not just him on his own, but his wife and his children. It was Saul's house. Now, the same Saul who had been the instigator of all these things. The same house where David says, now is there anyone in his house I can be kind to? Kindness to his enemy. That goes against human nature, doesn't it? It's against human nature to be kind to those who put us to great bother and upset. 
But there's more than that in David's case. It's not just kindness to uh, an enemy which goes against human nature, but it was kindness to a defeated enemy which went against political protocol of the day. Because it was the done thing in the ancient Near East whenever a new dynasty assumed power from the old dynasty to, uh, to not treat the outgoing dynasty at all well or any of the house of the old dynasty at all well. It was commonplace to imprison them. Uh, I was reading a book during the week at a different time scale altogether, but they put the eyes out of those who, whose house had been removed from the royal, from the house. Put their eyes out. Or in some cases, it was a done thing just to put them out of their misery. The whole reason behind it was just in case one of them got any funny ideas and tried to get worm his way back in again. That was the done thing in the ancient Near East. You didn't treat the house of a, a, a defeated enemy well, kindly. And that's the reason why in verse 6, whenever Saul's grandson Mephibosheth is brought to the king, that's why he falls on his face trembling. Mephibosheth comes expecting the chop, not the steak that David has in mind for him, but the chop. According to our Lord Jesus Christ, it is with the grain of the new nature. And it is the done thing, the done constitutional thing in the kingdom of God to love your enemies. It goes with the grain of the new nature to love your enemies. That ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. So it goes with the nature of a Christian to be kind and kind to your enemies. And it's also the done constitutional thing in the kingdom of God. To love your enemies, to bless them and do good to them that hate you and despitefully use and persecute you. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. If you have been baptized with the Spirit, the evidence of that is kindness. And kindness of a different species of kindness than that which is found in the fruit of Adam. Because the fruit of Adam can be kind. But our fruit of the Spirit must be of a different type of kindness. For if you love them which love you, do not even the publicans do the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you do more than others? What thank have you? If you're kind only to those who are kind to you, what thank have you? There's a fly in the ointment of Christian kindness. If you're not also kind-hearted and kind-handed to your enemies, to the boys and girls, some of your friends in school, and they're maybe not nice to you, and then we call you names, and they can be nasty. What are you to do? You're to be nice to them. 
You are to be kind to the nasty boys and girls in the playground. That's what God expects of those in his church. To your colleagues in work, to your neighbours, some of them who are disagreeable folk, some of them who make your life difficult, if you're a Christian, you're to look for opportunities. You're to take the initiative to be kind to them. That's what it means to be a Christian. It goes with the nature. It is the done thing to be kind to those who are not kind to us. And to do so with no strings attached. Uh, Jesus said to his followers, do good and lend, hoping nothing again. And your reward shall be, the, your reward shall be, uh, for he, your reward shall be off the, I haven't taken that down, right? But uh, God is kind unto the unthankful and to, and to the evil. Uh, there's to be nothing in it for you. That's the point. By your kindness. And we, we, we see how David brings that out here in verse 3. And in verse 3 he says, Is there yet any of the house of Saul that I might show, not just that I might show kindness unto him, but that I might show the kindness of God unto him? D David's kindness is an expression of God's kindness. I, I, I want to show God's kindness by showing kindness to someone in Saul's house. Uh, and that's what you and I do when we do it to our enemies, especially. Not just them, but especially. Uh, you become a living gospel. You uh, are a parable of the kindness of God when you're kind to your enemies. Uh, you, you become an epistle. Uh, known and read of all men. Whenever you show yourself to be kind. And no respecter of persons. In terms of who you show your kindness to. Lend to all. Hoping for nothing in return. You would have to say that David did that. He lent hoping for nothing in return from Mephibosheth. Uh, Mephibosheth is brought before David in verse 6. And it's very plain that he's got nothing to give David in return for what David has planned for him. He's not even living in his own house. He's living in the house of someone uh, 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 in Machar. Uh, the son of Amiel from Lodibor. He doesn't even have his own house. He's lodging with someone. What can he give David for all that David's going to give him? Think about Mephibosheth for a moment. Uh, whenever Saul's house fell, and whenever Saul's kingdom fell, Mephibosheth, which was maybe third in line, he lost everything. He lost his princely title. No longer the prince. He lost his royal estate. It was his. Down the line for the taking. He lost all of his royal retinue. All the revenues. Which were coming to him. He lost it all. 
in one go, in one go. Whenever Saul's nurse fled with Mephibosheth, because he was just a boy at the time, just a toddler, but she was fleeing whenever Saul's kingdom was burning all around them. And the boy, the babe, fell out of her arms. And he fell and fell grievously and lost the ability to walk properly thereafter. He no longer could walk straight. He could no longer walk uprightly. First 3 tells us on a couple of occasions that he was lame on his feet. And one foul go, Mephibosheth had lost everything. The only thing he didn't lose when Saul's kingdom fell, he didn't lose the meaning of his name. Because the meaning of the name Mephibosheth means a shameful thing. He didn't lose that. Shame was identified with him as being in Saul's house, belonging to Saul, and lost it all. And he felt his poverty. He says to David, when he comes in, in verse 8, and David tells him what he has in store for him, he says to David, What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am? I don't deserve any of this. I have nothing to give you in return. I have nothing. But David wasn't looking for anything. David was lending with not percent interest. Lending with not percent interest of wanting anything back in return at all from Mephibosheth. One of the old Puritans said, and it's just a typical Puritan saying, lovely. He says, Charity offereth honey to a bee without wings. Charity offers honey to a bee without wings. Mephibosheth didn't have any wings. He didn't have any feet. He didn't have anything. But he received kindness. He received kindness. That's the type of unalloyed kindness that you and I are to exhibit. The sort of kindness that doesn't have any strings attached to it. The sort of kindness where there's no small print in a kind deed. What's in this for me? Maybe I'll get some payback down the line a wee bit. That's not kindness. That's, that's a mercenary kindness, which is no kindness at all. Jesus in Luke 14, 12 and following said to his disciples, when thou makest a dinner or a supper, don't call your friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again. There's something in it. We'll ask you over and, you ask, and you'll ask us over. But don't do that, says Jesus. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. Why? For they cannot recompense thee. It's just kindness for kindness sake. David spreads out a feast of kindness for Mephibosheth. He sort of puts down a 10% deposit 
on the kindness that he shows him when he immediately uh, uh, reassures him that his life's not in any danger. He says to, to, to Mephibosheth when he comes in and falls on the ground trembling, fear not. Puts him at ease. And then the rest of the balance of his kindness is there for Mephibosheth to hear about in verse 7. Fear not. I will surely show thee kindness and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Verse 9. Then the king called in Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. Verse 11 say, As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. All that had been lost to Mephibosheth of his estate was restored there. Everything. Beyond, of course, the ability to recover his twisted limbs. That was even beyond David's ability to do that. But he did enable him from that point onwards to walk again with his head held high. David effectively adopts Mephibosheth into his family as one of the king's sons. And so while he was still lame in his feet, he couldn't fix that. But he, from that point onward, he restored uh, Mephibosheth's dignity, uh, his, his noble ancestry coming from royal lineage. He restored that to him. He could go out now and hold his head up high. The ancient Near East, nor west, nor south, nor, uh, nor south, uh, had never seen the type of kindness that David showed to Mephibosheth. He went the extra mile. And it was a royal mile. He brought him in as one of the king's sons. And the king's table. And all of David's kindness, his thoughtfulness, his considerateness, it all turned on the hinge of those words in verse 1, which crop up a couple of times. I'm doing this for Jonathan's sake. That I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. In verse 7, he says it again. I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake. Now, there was more to this than just the friendship which David and Jonathan had enjoyed, which we saw a number of months ago. David wasn't saying, I'm going to give you back all this stuff because me and your old dad go back a long way. There was a lot more to it than that. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, in the early days, whenever things were just 
starting to uh, deteriorate for, for, for David and before he was about to go on the run. And Jonathan knew that God had chosen David to be the king and that the writing was on the wall for Saul's kingdom. And at just at that earlier stage, some, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 years earlier, uh, Jonathan had said to David, 1 Samuel 20, verse 13, The Lord be with thee, and thou shalt not only, while I yet live, show me the kindness of the Lord, that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. Jonathan said, um, as long as I live, will you be kind to me, David, when you become king? And whenever I'm dead, will you remember kindness to my family? He says, but thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with David. And Jonathan caused David to swear again. What did he show such kindness to Mephibosheth for? For Jonathan's sake. Or to put it another way, for the covenant's sake. Same thing. Faithfulness to his covenant promise to Jonathan was the alternator that moved that Lorry load of kindness in, in Mephibosheth's direction. He did exceedingly abundantly above all that Jonathan had asked him to do. He just said, don't let me die and don't let my family die. Spur them. David's done more than spur them. He's brought them in under the royal roof. Exceedingly abundantly, all Jonathan never asked or thought. Many moons ago, before I'd even heard of the RP Church, uh, we used to do, it wasn't very long saved, and we used to do some children's clubs uh, around the streets and that. And we used to use the CEF material, the Child Evangelism Fellowship material. Uh, these, these books, I'm sure some of you have seen them with pictures, and I always seem to end up doing the story of Mephibosheth for the children. And it was a good story to do for children because the gospel is superimposed in this whole account. And it's so simple that a little child can understand it. So boys and girls, men and women, the lesson of the whole thing is that we're, all of us, are like Mephibosheths. We're all enemies to God. We deserve to be cut off. Deserve to have our eyes plucked out to be cut off. We've been left lame because of a fall. Because of the fall in the Garden of Eden. We lost all of our estate, all of our title in one go, in one night. The only thing we didn't lose was our name, Mephibosheth. 
We're all at birth born shameful. Our nakedness makes us a shameful thing. But after that the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, well, that's a different story. It's all changed when the kindness of the Saviour appears. What happens? Well, the gospel comes. And perfect love, what does it do? It drives out all fear. All that was lost in Adam in one night is restored instantly in Christ. We receive the adoption as sons. We become heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with God's Son, with Christ. And we're able to walk straight now. We're able to walk in straight paths. We've got our dignity back. We're more like our old selves before the fall. And we're able to walk uprightly before our God. We're able to sit freely at the king's table and feast and banquet continually. And it includes our seed forever. It includes our house forever in the covenant mix of things. And the best part of it all is we just have to come like Mephibosheth to the king. Just as you are. Mephibosheth came just as he was. Without one plea and without one pay. He had nothing. He was a dead dog. And he came. And he received it all. No strings attached to the kindness of God, our Saviour. How come? How come? What's behind it all? It's more than just kindness for kindness sake. Although it is for kindness sake. But it's more than that. God shows his kindness to Mephibosheth for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. Or the B side or the A side, for the covenant's sake. For the covenant that he made with the second Adam's sake. For the promise's sake. For the promise that since he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. For his own name's sake. For his own name's sake. He's kind to Mephibosheth's. Like us. John Calvin says, Nothing is more acceptable to God than kindness. John Coates says, Nothing is more semblance to God than great kindness. Now there's two motivations for the price of one. To be kindly, affectionate, one to another. Two motivations. It pleases God and it resembles God to be good Samaritans to your friends and also to your enemies. Who can you be kind to tonight? Who can you take the initiative to be kind to the night?
every day has the potential to be one of the loveliest scenes of your life. Amen. Let us stand to pray. O oh Lord, we rise up this evening off the back of this account of David's life and we do see the gospel superimposed upon it, standing out from it loudly and clearly. And what can we say, Lord, but thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you did send your son into this world to restore to us all that had been lost, and to give us more besides what we ever lost in Adam. To give us more than what was lost in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. And we thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, that in this world of so much woe, so much sadness, so much hopelessness and miserableness, that there is this gospel, this great news of the kindness of God. Lord, we can hardly think we know, Lord, that there's no other religion, no other uh, message in the world, uh, no matter what religion it might be, that has something like this that we've been thinking about tonight. The kindness of God for Jesus' sake, the poor sinners. And we pray, Lord, you bless your people with it. And that, Lord, it might not just do our hearts good, but it might do our hands good and our feet good. And that we too, Lord, might... Uh, Take the front foot in being kind to those around us. Help us, Lord. Help us to be kind to our enemies. Help us, Lord, to start with our friends. If we're, never, if we're not kind with our friends, we'll not be friendly, kind to our enemies. So help us, Lord, to uh, be immersed in doing good, to please you, to honour you, and to be like you. Give grace, we ask. For Jesus' sake. Amen.